0: All right, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 343. Again, I hope you're doing very, very well. I- I'm pumped up. I'm excited. Uh, one big elephant in the room. Uh, maybe. You might not be able to see it. In case you're looking at my forehead going, what is that gigantic crater going on? Uh, it's a zit. I tried to um, use my girlfriend's like pimple patch. It's like a little plastic thing you put on your forehead, like a sticker or like a, like a piece of tape, basically. And it's supposed to like dry out the stuff. Well, I ripped it off too hard and it ripped off all my skin. So now that's a cautionary tale. I don't actually know if you can see it. I'm letting you know if you can see it. That's what's going on. It's not like a spider bite or something. It's very possible you literally can't even see it, so I might have told a little tiny story that means nothing. Uh, this is an F1 episode all about Formula 1. We'll do a 2021 season preview. Uh, we will also finish the show by talking about Netflix's Drive to Survive Season 3. I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to have fun with it. I'm going to share my notes. But will be at the end. I'll give you a spoiler warning when that does come up. Uh, and if you're not an F1 fan, if you don't like Formula 1, hey, no. Pr- first of all, I encourage you to listen. I, I think Formula 1 is amazing. It's my second favorite sport behind football. It's an, it's really amazing, the storylines and what goes on. And if you're new to F1, welcome. Hey, I think you should listen. But if you don't like F1, you're like, hey, Zach, I'm only here because I want to hear you talk about football. Let me tell you, there's going to be no football talk in this episode. And, hey, no problem. You can listen to the next episode. It'll come out on Monday morning. And, hey, you can hear me talk about football on Monday. I'll see you then if you don't like F1. Until then... Uh, I love you and appreciate you. Let's jump in. Let's talk about Formula One. The 2021 F1 season is here. Uh, The first race is in Bahrain on March 28th, Sunday. And uh, I want to run through all the teams in Formula One to kind of share my, I I guess, a preview and then predictions at the end of what I think is going to happen by the end of the season. Uh, But first, let me start by saying this, because I think it's very, very important to lay kind of the groundwork. In my head, I divide Formula 1 teams into three different tiers. The top tier is the teams that are fighting for a championship, that are the best of the best, that have a legitimate shot of winning a world championship. Then you have the midfield. They're like the middle-level team. It's self-explanatory. They're the teams that are just okay. They're all kind of competing for a lower-level spot. And then you have the third tier, which is all the teams fighting to avoid the bottom. Their goal is... We don't want to be worse than the other couple teams all at the bottom of F1. And F1 is super unfair financially, and they're working to fix that. They're trying to make things more competitive with a budget cap and with regulation changes, and that's just going to take time. I think uh, they really are making an effort, though, to make things more and more competitive. Uh, But again, it's going to take time. But right now, as I look at Formula 1, the smaller, lower-level teams just feel like they're there to fill out the grid for the bigger teams. So the bigger teams have somebody to race against. So I look at uh ha- you know, Haas and Alfa Romeo and Williams. Like they have no shot. They're there so that Mercedes has somebody to race against. And that's all that's really how I look at it. And that's okay. I I think in spite of all that, you can still find a ton of little battles throughout each tier, in the top tier, in the midfield, in the bottom tier, even though Formula One is very, very unequal. And it's often like Haas has no chance of ever beating Mercedes. And that's just a fact. That's okay. There's still a lot to be learned and a lot to have fun enjoying in the competitive battles in Formula 1 between the top tier, the midfield tier, and the bottom tier. And I want to jump in by starting with tier one. We'll talk about Red Bull first. Red Bull did something different this year that uh, is just very uh, unlike Red Bull. Normally what they do... Is they promote people within their development pool. They're like, hey, you've been a Red Bull racer your whole life, and we've moved you up through the ranks, and now we're gonna elevate you to our top number one Red Bull F1 team. But Red Bull desperately wants to win a championship. Mercedes has won seven titles in a row. So what Red Bulls did is they added Sergio Perez. Last year he drove for Racing Point. They said, you know what, Sergio, you don't have a drive. We need somebody who can elevate our team and give Max Verstappen a true co-host, a true uh, number two driver to help him compete with Mercedes. And so for the, for the first time in a long time, Red Bull has a not only one, but two legitimate drivers that can actually challenge Mercedes and be pushing for podiums, race in and race out. And I, I find that very, very exciting. Red Bull, they got Max Verstappen. He's a star. He's one of the most talented drivers in all of Formula one. But by adding Sergio Perez, again, I can't say this enough, Red Bull finally has a driver's lineup that can actually make a push and challenge Mercedes. Max has been great. But for the past two years, there's been no second driver. Every year, it's Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, all the top, and then nobody that can come from behind and help Max push Mercedes. They finally have a guy, Sergio Perez, Checo Perez, I think, who can help them challenge Mercedes. That makes me very, very exciting. By the way, Red Bull has a great card this year. Not only did they finish 2020 last year really strong. In fact, they beat Mercedes outright in the final race. But then, and a lot of other teams have done this too. A lot of other teams are looking ahead to 2022. They're saying, hey, this year, uh, it's kind of a wash. But next year, there's new regulations. There's new stuff going on. We're going to develop for next year. Red Bull said, we're not going to do that. We are going to double down and go all in on 2021. They think they have a legitimate shot to win now and beat Mercedes. They've got a Honda power unit. They've got a ton of speed. They looked very, very reliable in winter testing. There was a day where Max Verstappen drove his car for literally the length of not one, but two and a half entire Grand Prix's. He said they just drove that engine as long as they could. It was awesome. It was really... Uh, encouraging to me going like, oh, man, the Red Bull looks reliable. It's a big deal. And so this is the year where it feels like Red Bull can actually finally for once beat Mercedes. And it's been a long time. Remember, Red Bull had their time. Then Mercedes came. Mercedes has won seven in a row. But with the car, the driver lineup, it feels like this is the year. Red Bull has a legitimate shot to, I guess the words upset, to upset Mercedes and make her run at a championship. Now, Mercedes uh, Formula One made a lot of changes. Those changes have hurt the German team. Uh, their their unique DAS innovation got banned. So basically, Mercedes got nerfed by new regulations that uh, and new technical regulations that have removed a lot of the downforce cars had that hurt Mercedes. And then by taking away DAS, I kind of feel bad for Mercedes because they came up up with this just amazing innovation. And it's a great idea. The problem is basically none of the other teams could develop it. <laughs> and they're like, well, we can't let you have this amazing piece of technology that nobody else can come up with and make. It's just making you way ahead of everybody else. So they, they banned DOS. And uh, after one year, it's gone. That's kind of I feel bad for Mercedes there. Like They got almost punished for uh, being really, really great right, technical wizards. But also they got a year out of it. It worked for them. They won a championship last year. And I know that Mercedes kept all their pieces together. Uh, Toto Wolf is still the boss there. They're, they got the same two drivers, seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. Uh, Valtteri Bottas is the number two driver. However, because of the new regulations, because of no DOS, because of, uh, frankly, a lot of other little problems. So you watch the, the winter testing. I saw Lewis Hamilton spin out a number of times and go, ooh, that's not great. So Mercedes looks weaker than they have in a long, long time. So... With Red Bull looking legit, Mercedes looking weaker, it feels like this is going to be a very, very fun, very, very competitive, enjoyable battle between Red Bull and Mercedes. And uh, they're going for their eighth title in a row Mercedes' they want to try to win another one. And it feels completely illogical to bet against Mercedes. Anybody who does that, I go like, ah, are you you crazy? And and maybe I'm crazy, but I, I really feel like if there's ever a year Red Bull has a shot to beat Mercedes. It is this year, and it's going to be a blast to watch. So they're really the only two teams, in my opinion, that have a chance to legitimately win a title. It's going to be Red Bull or Mercedes. Everybody else is battling for third. That's okay. I like that. Uh, And I I frankly cannot wait to see. Can Red Bull actually grab the crown from Mercedes and and get themselves a world championship? I think it'd be awesome. I cannot wait to see it. By the way, uh, Mercedes is keeping the black livery. They're they're the silver arrows, I guess, but they're keeping the black livery. I really like it. I think it's very slick. I just want to say I, I think the black looks really, really cool. Now, as we move to the midfield, uh, the conversation becomes about third place. Who can get third in the Formula One Constructors Championship? Let's start with McLaren. They got third last year. Uh, their young driver, Lando Norris, is entering his third season. And in my opinion, because of that, it's time to start raising expectations. Lando Norris is looked at as a guy who has championship potential. They go, you know, Lando Norris is a guy who we think could be a future face of Formula One. He's already pretty close just based on he's really popular. People love him on the Internet. But I want to see Lando Norris regularly pushing for podiums. He may not get podiums regularly because there's only three cars. And if you have if it's just Mercedes and Red Bull, even if he does best other than those two teams, he's still going to end up fifth. So I don't expect Landon Norris to actually get podiums every single race, nothing like that. But I want to see him in the conversation every single race, pushing that, getting really close to that. Um, and I, I I want that to happen. Now, McLaren also added Daniel Ricciardo, who, in my opinion, I like Carlos Sainz a lot. Daniel Ricciardo is an upgrade for McLaren. McLaren's got a better car this year. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo is experienced. He is talented. He's won seven F1 races. He's podiumed 31 times in Formula One. Again, he's an upgrade for McLaren. So, McLaren, they got a great car. They got two good drivers. I feel very, very positive about McLaren. Uh, they took advantage of some regulations with their car design. They now have a Mercedes power unit. And I, I really look at McLaren and say they should be the favorite to finish third again. And the question is, can they hang on? Can they keep their crown and stay the third best team in Formula One? Now, the biggest challenger for third is going to be Aston Martin, in my opinion. Uh, Last year, Aston Martin was known as Racing Point. They rebranded. They got a new name. They've got a new driver, Sebastian Vettel. And they almost got third last year in 2020. But in the final race, they just they choked. I mean, I can't think of another way. You know, uh, Sergio Perez's car. Did not finish. It choked. Uh, and it's, it felt like a moment where, man, like, this was a team that got so close and then could not finish at the end. It's unfortunate. I feel bad for them. Uh, but you got to earn it. And so the two drivers for Aston Martin, you got four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel uh, and then Lance Stroll. Lance Stroll is the son of the team owner, Lawrence Stroll. Lance is mostly there because of his dad. Uh, it's pretty clear. Like he, if, if Lawrence Stroll was not the owner of the team, there would be no Lance Stroll. But to his credit... Unlike most people who he's basically a gentleman driver, I will say Land Stroll has some talent. I mean, he got a, he was on pole position last year in Turkey, and that doesn't happen by accident. He has some talent as a driver, even if he's not the most talented on the grid. I also got to say, Aston Martin's got a really cool, like, green, shiny livery. It looks awesome. I'm, I'm excited to watch that car in action. I think just as from visual standpoint, it looks super, super cool. And I think that Aston Martin in general, they're trying to elevate themselves. They've got, uh, they're bringing it, they're working on new facilities. They are building a new HQ. They've got a ton of money invested from Lawrence Stroll. Now, the two biggest questions about Aston Martin are this. Can they get third? Can they make a legitimate push and steal third from McLaren? And then will their engine be reliable? Last year, they had reliability problems. In winter testing, they had reliability problems. And it really doesn't matter how fast you are if your car <laughs> isn't running. So I, I'm excited to watch Mc, uh, Aston Martin. I think Aston Martin's awesome. The question is, can they legitimately challenge McLaren this year in 2020 and steal the crown and get third in F1? That leads me to Alpine. Uh, it's not Alpine. It's spelled like Alpine. If you're from America, you're like, oh, the Alpine F1 team. No, 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 no. I watched the video. They clarified many times it's pronounced Alpine. Uh, It's a team that was formerly known as Renault F1. They're rebranded with a new name. They've got a new livery with the colors of the French flag. They call their blue, by the way, electric blue. I really, really like it. I think it's very, very cool. Uh, Their two drivers are two-time world champion Fernando uh, Alonso. And he came out of a brief retirement, was gone for a little bit. Now he's back. He's racing again, and he's very excited. And he's paired with Esteban Ocon. A guy who is a French driver racing under the French flag. Kind of cool for a French team to have a French driver. And next year in 2022 is likely to be a big year for Alpine racing. This year feels like kind of a standby year. Uh, They say that most of their development has gone to the 2022 season next year. This year is a year where they're trying to get by. It's a new team. With new leadership and a new driver, new everything pretty much. They are making changes and trying to be competitive this year to some degree. Uh, they're the only car on the grid with a Renault power unit. That's interesting and weird. I don't, I don't know how much you trust a Renault power unit, personally. They've had problems in the past. It'll be interesting. Yeah, it's a new team, a lot of changes. Uh, it's kind of hard to get a read on Alpine, honestly. Uh, it could be great. They got a two-time world champion. They've got a lot of stuff and a lot of new stuff. They're revamping things. Uh, But I'm really curious how much they can legitimately hang with McLaren and Aston Martin. Are they a team that's actually going to make a push for third? Or are they a cool name and a cool livery that is kind of in standby phase until next year 2022 when all of their development work they've been doing pays off uh, on the track? So it remains to be seen what Alpine will do. I don't know. But again, I want to clarify. You say the name Alpine, not Alpine. That leads me to Ferrari. Uh, Ferrari was a joke last year. And I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of enjoy watching Ferrari crash and burn. They got great, passionate fans. Uh, I have no confidence, and I, I do not enjoy their, uh, their big boss, Mattia Bonotto, at all. I don't like him. I think he fosters a poor culture in Ferrari. Uh, they got two great drivers. They got Charles Leclerc, uh, and they added a new driver, Carlos Sainz from McLaren. But personally, what this all comes down to, I do not trust Mattia Bonotto to lead their team in a good direction. The, the, really, the question is, can their car be competitive again? They got sixth last year in F1. They weren't even close to the team's fighting for third. And I, look, Ferrari's a big brand. They got a lot of legacy. But they ride way too often on the brand. And often enough recently have not delivered on that brand and delivered on the legacy and the promise of Ferrari. So until they they have to prove it, I'm really tired of the people saying, oh, we're, we're Ferrari. Great. Uh, do better. I, I, until then, I don't really I, I am not sold. I'm not convinced. I'm not really uh, the magic of Ferrari. is not something I'm, I'm new to F1. I, I became an F1 fan Uh, Three years ago, I didn't grow up watching Ferrari and being mesmerized by the past. So I don't really have this uh, sense of nostalgia for them. So personally, I go, I'm not impressed. I've been watching for three years. You've been very average. You were horrible last year. And uh, we'll see if they can legitimately challenge for third place next year in the 2020, I guess this year in the 2021 F1 season. Keep your eye on Ferrari. How about AlphaTauri? They're at the bottom of the midfield teams. Uh, they're not really a team fighting for third. I think, if anything, the fun storyline for Alpha Tauri is, can their team uh, be better than Ferrari? I mean, both of them are Italian teams. It'd be kind of cool if Alpha Tauri, the underdog forgotten team, ended up being better than the big-time brand in Italy, Ferrari. Now, it's not really their fault that they're a midfield team, Alpha Tauri is Red Bull's number two team. They are a development team where, you know, they do not get the same resources that Red Bull's number one team gets. Their drivers are rookie from Formula Two, Yuki Sonoda and Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly is awesome. He's got a really cool story where uh, two years ago, mid-season in 2019, he got demoted from the regular Red Bull F1 team down to Alpha Tauri. Uh, Then his friend died in a crash. And so he's been through a lot, had a lot of adversity. And uh, last year, 2020, Pierre Gasly had a great year. He even won a race. So for him to win a race, uh, won it, he won at Monza in Italy with a midfield team. I thought that was pretty impressive. And I like the story arc for Pierre Gasly. He's a guy who's fought through a lot. And uh, I think the adversity he's been through has challenged him, has been really hard for him, but it's made him a better driver. And I am curious whether or not Pierre Gasly can keep it going. Can he continue the success he's had? And uh, or I guess really the question is, with 20, was 2020 a fluke? 2020 was a great year for Pierre Gasly. Is he going to keep it up or is he going to revert back to what he was in 2019 where he faltered and did not look confident and had a lot of problems? I don't think he will. I think Pierre Gasly is going to be awesome because he's built himself a lot of confidence. He now has the courage and the belief in himself. It's one thing to believe you can do it. It's another thing to know you can do it. Pierre Gasly knows he can succeed now. And uh, I'm really excited to watch him in 2021 this year. Uh, to see what he can do, so will Alpha Tauri compete with and beat Ferrari? I would love to see that. And then will Pierre Gasly be really competitive and really interesting? By the way, Yuki Sonoda, uh, the rookie driver out of F2, he is a guy who showed a lot of pace in winter testing. People respected what he could do on the track. So he, I think, is probably an upgrade over Daniel Kvyat from uh, Russia last year. Uh, Daniel Kvyat, by the way, I think is the Alpine, or the Alpine, excuse me, reserve driver. So AlphaTauri, it's all about Pierre Gasly. What can Yuki Tsunoda do? He's interesting. It'll be fun to watch him grow and maybe, maybe potentially challenge Pierre Gasly. And then can AlphaTauri find a way to be more competitive and better than Ferrari? We only have three teams left. We're now into the bottom tier of Formula One. We drink some water real quick, then we'll start with Haas, the American F1 team. I think it's pretty clear that Haas is easily the worst team in Formula 1 right now. Not only because they have two rookie drivers, it's also because they pretty openly admit that they didn't really develop their car at all for the 2021 season. They did the bare minimum to meet the technical regulations, but otherwise, they haven't really done the work to develop their car and make great strides moving forward because they openly admit they've been developing their car for 2022. A common theme. You see, as you look around F1, a lot of people looking ahead to 2022 next year. So this year, really, they, they've got a bad car. Uh, Haas had to make some driver changes. I mean, this is how bad Haas is right now. And it's really not their fault. I feel kind of bad for uh, Gunter Steiner, the team principal. He's a guy juggling a lot, probably way overworked, doing way too many roles than he should be doing. They're a small team that I think, frankly, has a a non-committal owner, Gene Haas, who doesn't seem to want to really put up the money it would take to make them a good competitive team. I often wonder why is Haas even in F1? Because... Uh, they, they just aren't, it's like, they're not really trying to go farther. They don't have a lot of money. It's, it's a weird, confusing thing. I don't really ever understand what Haas is doing. Maybe the owner is just happy to have an F1 team in general. Doesn't care about winning. That's kind of what it seems like to me. Uh, but last year Haas had to make a change and bring in two new rookie drivers just to make sponsors happy so they could succeed. So the new drivers this year for Haas are, you got one guy who's got a lot of potential, And one guy who just seems like a gentleman driver who drives me nuts. So the one with a lot of potential is Mick Schumacher, who's the son of seven-time world champion Michael Schumacher. Uh, By the way, Mick Schumacher was the 2020 F2 champion. So he's got some talent. He's a good driver, a lot of potential there. Now, the other Haas rookie driver is Nikita Mazepin. He's a guy who's got a rich dad, and the rich dad agreed to— Donate a lot of money to help the team stay afloat and sponsor the team. They needed funding. It's very shameless. Hass said, we'll bring in your son if you pay us. I, I hate that about Formula one. I understand that it's needed. Uh, and also, I got to say, aside from driving off the track, I find Nikita Mazepin incredibly unlikable. He's just a not a guy that I find encouraging or inspiring or uh, interesting or uh, attractive at all as a driver. Now, uh, it's a building year for Haas. They scored three points last year. The question is, can Haas do better than they did last year? And really, the question should be, can they even do as good as they did last year? They got rid of Romain Grosjean. They got rid of uh, Kevin Magnussen. They got two rookie drivers. They got a bad car. My guess is Haas is the worst team in Formula One. And, and frankly, I, I don't think they're even going to score three points this year. Not just because they got rookie drivers who so are learning on the fly, but also because, again, they have a terrible car that's not going to be very competitive because they didn't try to make it competitive. They just said, we're going to take the L. It's a standby year. We're developing for 2022 next year. How about Williams? Williams has two drivers I really, really like. First of all, they got well, one driver who's great, George Russell. They also have Nicholas Satifi, who's eh, whatever. But um, They have a new livery. They've got new ownership. And uh, George Russell's very, very talented. Remember last year, George Russell drove briefly for mercedes and uh, dominated for a lot of the race till he had a problem with the engine. So, uh, or something happened with him. I I, I don't I, I don't remember how that race ended. I remember something happened. It wasn't quite his fault, and I felt bad for George Russell. Now it will be a year of progress for Williams. They fought hard to develop their car to make strides moving forward. Uh, they did not score a single point last year in Formula One. I hope to see Williams score at least a point in Formula One this year, and really the. The thing that I think is going to be fun is the battle between Haas and Williams. Which team is better? uh, Which team ends up on the bottom? I would imagine that Williams, given the effort they put into developing their car, will be better than Haas this year. Plus, I think they got two, at least got one better driver, George Russell. And uh, I feel good about Williams as far as they're not going to be the worst team in Formula One. Now, finally, we have Alfa Romeo. Their two drivers are former world champion Kimi Räikkönen and Antonio Giovinazzi. Uh, Alfa Romeo will likely remain the best of the bottom three. They're the le- the wisdom and the experience of Kimi Räikkönen really makes a difference for them, where I-, I think that Alfa Romeo will be better than Williams and be better than Haas, but it'll be interesting to find out. Uh, I-, I just think they have an edge because of Kimi Räikkönen. He's a great driver, a former world champion. That puts him over the top and gets him a little bit ahead of Pass and Williams and makes them the best of the bottom three cars, in my opinion. So let's do some predictions. You could probably you probably can kind of figure out where I'm going to my predictions already based on what I just said. But uh, I want to share my predictions for the final standings of the 2021 F1 season. And I got to say, it feels a bit irresponsible to bet against Mercedes. But I'm going to do it anyway, because I think it's very boring to just pick Mercedes every single year. And I legitimately believe that this is the year Red Bull can make a move and challenge and even beat Mercedes for the World Championship. I think Red Bull's going to win the Constructors' Cup, and Max Verstappen's going to win a World Championship. I think it's going to be awesome. It'll be fun. Uh, I know it's a bold prediction, but again, I think picking Mercedes is frankly very, very boring. I don't want to do that. And it's a perfect storm for Red Bull because Mercedes got hit hard by regulations, uh, less downforce, no DOS. Their car has been struggling. I saw Lewis Hamilton spin out a couple times in winter testing. And Red Bull has a great car. Their most competitive car they've had in a long time in comparison to Mercedes. They got speed. They got reliability. Uh, And on top of that, Red Bull added a legit number two driver, Checo Perez. So I think that this is the year Red Bull finally takes the crown from Mercedes and wins themselves a world championship to reclaim that throne back from Mercedes. Now, so Red Bull will finish number one. Mercedes will finish number two. I have McLaren finishing third in F1 once again. Their car is better. Their driver lineup is better. You have Lando Norris going into year three. You have Daniel Ricciardo as an upgrade on Carlos Sainz, their driver from last year. And I think, frankly, also Aston Martin is going to have some engine trouble. That engine trouble last year, that engine trouble in winter testing, Uh, So I think fourth place is going to come down to either Aston Martin or Alpine Racing. Um, I give the edge to Aston Martin because they focused heavily on improving their car and development in the offseason, whereas Alpine focused a lot more on 2022 for next year, getting ready for two years from now. It's kind of a standby year for Alpine. Both teams are kind of oddly similar where they've got new drivers who have previously won a world championship. They've got a new team name a new livery, kind of brand new everything. But in the end, I think Aston Martin will be quicker. So I think Aston Martin's going to be fourth and of the one they're going to beat out Alpine. But really the question is, can Aston Martin be reliable? Will their engine work? Because again, I said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't matter how fast you are if your car isn't running. So reliability is very, very key for Aston Martin this year in 2021. I believe Ferrari will finish... Sixth in Formula 1. They could be up at fifth, but I think Alpine's going to be fifth. Alpine's going to be fifth. Uh, They might outperform Alpine. Ferrari might outperform Alpine. But the reality is I have no confidence in Ferrari's leader, Mattia Bonotto. They've got a good driver lineup. I love Charles Leclerc. I like uh, Carlos Sainz a lot. I think he's underrated. But I don't believe in the Ferrari current culture in their team. Building the car. The way they communicate. You can have good drivers in a bad car. We've seen that before. George Russell's a, an example of a guy with, a, who's a great driver and a horrible Williams car. So I don't really care how good your driver lineup is if your car isn't any good. And the way they communicate, the way they handle stuff, I just have no confidence in the way things are run at Ferrari. I think they're going to end up sixth in Formula the one this year in 2021. Number seven will be Alpha Tauri. Uh, they're here because of Yuka Sonoda. I know that's harsh. That's not fair, but it's true. He's a rookie. And when you look at the driver lineups for all the teams I've picked ahead of Alpha Tauri, they're just better than you can possibly expect from a rookie driver, Yuki Sonoda, even though I like Pierre Gasly. Pierre Gasly is going to be interesting and exciting. Uh, and I got to say, I would love to watch Alpha Tauri beat out their in-country rival. They're not really rivals, but I think it'd be cool if they became rivals with... I want to see Alpha Tauri beat Ferrari last year. They lost to them. Uh, Alpha Tauri got seventh, Ferrari got sixth. I would like to see that swapped and have Alpha Tauri beat Ferrari. I didn't predict that because I don't have confidence that can happen, but I would really enjoy watching that, seeing Alpha Tauri beat Ferrari this year in twenty in uh in Formula One. Number eight will be Alfa Romeo. Kimi Raikkonen's experience will help them and catapult them beyond Williams and Haas. Uh, number nine is Williams. Number 10 is Haas. Williams developed their car. They got a better driver. I love George Russell. Uh, Haas has two rookie drivers and a bad car. So Haas will be the worst team in form of the one. And uh, 2021 is going to look very much like 2020 if my predictions are correct. Uh, the only really differences are that Mercedes and Red Bull will swap. Red Bull will win. Mercedes will get second. And then Haas will be last instead of Williams. Otherwise... I think basically everything from last year in Formula One is gonna be the same when the dust settles and the year comes to an end. Uh, but again, I, I just it'll be fun. the The journey to get there, the battles for first, the battle for third, the battle to avoid being at the bottom. It's gonna be a lot of fun watching how all these teams compete with each other and all the little battles that go on in each each of my made up tiers in Formula One, the top tier, the midfield and the bottom. And uh, I just, I cannot wait to see a lot of new drivers, a lot of new, in fact, a lot of new teams, Alpine, Aston Martin. There's tension, there's big storylines, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing Formula One season in 2021. Oh, man, Uh, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, No, I'm not. I'm just going to power through. I love you guys. I want to talk about my favorite TV show. Well, it's one of my favorite TV shows. Let me drink another sip of water. I want to talk about one of my favorite TV shows, the Netflix series Formula One Drive to Survive. It's awesome. Season three just hit Netflix. I don't want to share my thoughts. I'm going to spoil the heck out of this. So if you hate spoilers, if you're like, oh, no, I don't want to ruin... Drive to Survive Season 3. Get out now. Stop watching. Stop listening. Go have a great day. When you finish it, come listen. Honestly, though, it's kind of illogical to be worried about getting spoilers in Drive to Survive because really all they do is recap the Formula 1 season. So if you've been watching Formula 1, you already know what's going to happen. But in case you don't or whatever, you're worried about some kind of spoilers and you haven't watched it, there's my warning. I've given it to you. Let's move on with our day. Let's start with Episode 1. It was called Cash is King. Uh, the episode introduces Racing Point and the pink Mercedes, and then it kind of detailed the cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix. I did not like this episode. It's the only episode of the season where I went, not my thing. I don't really like it. Uh, and for me, it was kind of just I got PTSD. I'm like, I don't really at post-traumatic stress disorder, if you've never heard of that before. I don't know if that's a thing in year. I, I I've never been to Europe. I don't know. I don't know if that's a saying. I don't know if people know what that is. I have no idea. You probably do, but I don't want to take a flyer and have people go like, what is PTSD? I don't know. Uh, you guys say things like bugger and things that—words I, I just—we don't use in America, so I'm doing my best. Um, it was my least favorite part of the season, though, episode one, because it what it did was it got me to relive COVID. And I don't want to relive the COVID outbreak. I don't want to relive— uh, the news and learning we need to wear masks everywhere. And I just, I didn't enjoy that. I didn't really like seeing it again. I could probably go the rest of my life without watching another documentary about the COVID-19 outbreak. So I'm, I'm good there. And I remember, it's pretty interesting. I remember when the Australian Grand Prix got canceled. I was annoyed. I was upset. And uh, I, I will say that they did really need to pause the season. Knowing what I know now, Formula One had to take a step back because they really needed to look and go, hmm, how do we move forward with new regulations and new, uh, new strategies in place to keep everybody safe? And they just they had to take that pause. I just remember being frustrated about it at the time, going like, ah, I want my Formula One. So, um, yeah, another takeaway from this episode. By the way, episode one, the thing that I, I could not stop thinking, I was watching with my girl, with my my fiance, we just got engaged, and uh, I just kept saying, we're like, man. Lauren Stroll looks like a villain. He's got those dark jet black eyebrows, the white hair, this kind of brooding face. Okay. He looks like scar from lion King or something. So uh, I just, Lauren Stroll looks like a villain from a, it looks like he reminds me of like Kingpin from Spider-Man, something like that, where he's like, huh, that guy looks like a villain for sure. In form of the one episode two is called back on the track. It uh, showed the relationship between Red Bull team principal, Christian Horner, and the Mercedes boss, Toto Wolff, uh, they respect each other, but they also compete very, very hard. Christian Horner loves to uh, protest everything Mercedes does. He's always trying to find every way he can to disrupt the Mercedes F1 team. And I love when Toto Wolff just kind of came out and said, you know, we focus on ourselves. We don't look left and right. Here at Mercedes, we do our talking on the track. I was like, ah, some tea. Total Wolf was annoyed, and I really like Total Wolf's kind of take on the, the whole Racing Point pink Mercedes thing. He's like, it's nonsense. It shouldn't happen. It shouldn't be a big deal. I tend to agree with Total Wolf there, uh, and I really think it's funny that Mercedes is so dominant. They don't need to nickel and dime small victories and worry about what you're doing, this and that. They're like, we're just going to drive our car really fast. We're dominant enough. We can kind of sit back and rest on our laurels, and uh, it's funny that that strategy works so well for them. They don't need to get caught up in the drama, you know, protesting tiny little things here and there. So I think it's just interesting. Also, I was very annoyed at Lewis Hamilton. Uh, there's a moment where he turned in on Alex Albin. Alex Albin was in position to get a podium spot. And uh, Lewis got a penalty for turning on uh you know turning into Alex Alban, but it didn't, it's too late. It's too little, too late. Where, yeah, Lewis got penalized, but what about the penalty that Alex Alban got? It cost him a podium and Eventually that, you know, not getting a podium there, the way things played out, that might have cost him his job. So I just, I I find it really frustrating. Lewis Hamilton is obviously the best driver uh, in in Formula One, at least based on what his success and what he's done. I just have moments of Lewis where I go like, "Mm, man, I I get you're doing what you got to do to win and succeed, but it feels dirty. You know, episode three was called Nobody's Fool. It's very, and not that eventful, but it really started in Finland. And it highlighted the difference between how Mercedes treats their drivers. Lewis Hamilton is the clear number one, you know, the the savior, the beloved child of Mercedes. And uh, they just don't care as much about Valtteri Bottas, their second number two driver. Uh, so, you know, He's not their second number two driver. He's their number two driver to Lewis Hamilton. And uh, it's, a, it's a struggle for Valtteri because he knows he's not wanted and knows he's not loved and treated the same way. Lewis Hamilton is, and that's got to be a toll on him, really. And i I wonder how long Valtteri Bottas will stay there, uh, how many more years? Because he's he's winning; it's very successful for him. He's doing great financially and on the track, and he's fulfilling the duty to his team where they keep winning championships, partially because of his contribution. But it's also like, man i I don't know how much you could handle that favoritism and be on the losing side of that favoritism and still be like feeling good about yourself. It's just got to be tough. And at some point I would imagine that Mercedes is going to say, we're going to make a move for our more interesting, more exciting driver, George Russell, rather than a known quantity Valtteri Bottas. I'm just curious how much longer does Valtteri Bottas hang around at Mercedes moving forward? We'll find out someday and uh, keep your eye on that as the years go on. Episode one is called let's talk about Ferrari. Ferrari. Uh, it showed the really bad relationship between Sebastian Vettel and the team. And uh, Ferrari's very controlling. You know, the best moment in this episode is when Seb it, it, Seb and Charles Leclerc are in a meeting, uh, or, or I guess a press conference. And Charles Leclerc is asked about why he canceled the launch of his clothing brand. And he gives some very good PR. answers like, ah, it's on hold. Like, uh, we'll shelve it for another day. And because Seb is getting fired and doesn't care, he goes, oh, here's the truth. We got a sponsor, a clothing sponsor, Puma. And uh, Ferrari shut that down. They did not allow Charles Leclerc to move forward with the clothing brand. And, uh, you know, they they wouldn't let him interfere with their their own clothing sponsor. And it's just funny. like It's a moment of Seb showing how miserable he is, how much he doesn't really care about the repercussions. And he's just annoyed and fed up with dealing with Ferrari. And I think Ferrari's PR and their brand management, their constant way they're managing their brand and controlling the narrative all the time. It's annoying. They're so worried about their image. And Ferrari is so, so clearly very corporate. I find it very frustrating. And then you look at, well, the way that things went down in 2019, where, uh, you know, Ferrari totally cheated. Ferrari got in trouble. There was an investigation. And they made a deal with the FIA, the governing body of, form of the ones who they they got a settlement, you know, agreed to, to keep it quiet. It's very obvious. Ferrari cheated in 2019. Something happened. Ever since that moment, they've been slow, and their engines had a lot of problems and trouble. And the annoyingly obvious cheating, the corporate nature of them, I find Ferrari, because of all that, very, very unlikable. And then on top of that, I don't like Mattia Bonotto at all, so I just... I really, really don't like Ferrari. I just find them so, so unlikable every time I watch anything to do with Ferrari. Now, by the way, there's a weird moment in this episode where Charles Leclerc introduced himself as Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc, with a hard C at the end and the Charles name. I'm like, huh, we all call him Charles Leclerc. I've heard everybody call it every time I've ever watched Form of the One, despite how his name is spelled People call him Charles Leclerc, and I go, "Huh? He wouldn't get his own name wrong. Why did he introduce himself as Charles Leclerc? I don't know. Was he screwing with us? I I, I really don't understand. Um, and it just if anyone has any insight, why did Charles Why did Charles Leclerc introduce himself as Charles Leclerc? Am I missing something? I am a dumb American. I'm doing my very best, and I just feel I'm I'm in over my head with that one. It, it's a it's a French name that I, I just, frankly, I, I don't know what the right way to pronounce it is. I, I I thought I did, and then I heard him say his own name and went, huh. And I cast out on everything I knew, and then people throughout the show called him Charles Leclerc, not Charles Leclerc. So I just, I have questions. If anyone can help me, please write in and let me know. And also, am I crazy? Do you guys like Ferrari, or am I the only person who finds Ferrari incredibly unlikable? Unless you're from Italy, then, of course, you love him. And, hey, God bless you. No worry. I don't blame you at all. It's your, lo- your local loyal team that you local team. You should be loyal to. And uh, I just, I get it. Now, episode five is called the end of the affair. It's about Daniel Ricciardo leaving Renault. And Daniel has a very honest, real moment where he talks about how uh, he said, I'm 31 years old. I can't afford to chance another season. And he felt like McLaren was in a better spot than Renault. So he left Renault. And it, it really is sad. Cause it kind of dismantled Renault. It, you know, Cyril lost his job. They rebranded their whole team. How much of that is because Daniel Ricciardo left, I don't know. Uh, but I, it's just interesting that he bailed on McLaren. But unfortunately, he probably made the right move. McLaren's in a great spot. And uh, Daniel Ricciardo fits very, very well with McLaren in 2021. I can't wait to watch them compete and see what they do together and if they can get third again in Formula One. Uh, then on the Racing Point decision, it reminded me how how I felt at the time. This happened in the same episode, episode five. The, the decision was made to uh, take away 15 points from Racing Point because of their uh, brake ducts, which is, you know, the pink Mercedes. They copied Mercedes, yada, yada. And it's really odd because if the parts they used were illegal, they should have lost all their points and said anything you earned with these, these parts are just outlawed and bad. So all your points are taken away. And if the brake ducts were fine, there should have been no penalty at all saying, like, look, they're, they're totally legal, whatever. Well, the ruling was kind of weird and uh, very flawed because they said, well, the brake ducts are fine. You can keep using them, but we're going to take away 15 points from your total for the season. It's like, huh. And here's why I felt at the time. I still feel this way after watching it back. The reason to me why the FIA decided to take 15 points away from Racing Point is to send a message to people, hey. They did nothing wrong technically, like on paper, but we don't like copying. We want to do everything we can to discourage teams from copying in the future. So we're going to penalize you, even though technically you did nothing wrong. What you did wrong is you broke this unwritten code of, hey, don't copy other teams word for word. You have to d- design your own thing. And even though you say you did, we don't really quite buy it. And just know nothing. It looks like copying can be allowed and tolerated in Formula 1. So that's why they had this flawed, confusing ruling because the reality is they couldn't find any legit reason to penalize them. They were just doing it as a warning to any other F1 teams watching and thought, oh, what Racing Point did was a good idea. We should do that too next year. No, no, no. If you do that, the FIA will come after you the same way they penalized Racing Point. Episode 6 is called The Comeback Kid. It's an amazing episode. It's all about how Pierre Gasly won at Monza in Italy, by the way, where his team is actually, you know, from (laughs) AlphaTauri. It's so compelling because, you know, Pierre Gasly got demoted in the middle of 2019. Then his friend died in a car crash uh, driving for, I believe, F2 or F3, one of the the lower levels, and uh, made him a better driver. Unfortunately, all that um, all that turmoil, all of that adversity was really awful, but it made him a better driver because it gave him a chip on his shoulder. And uh, it it makes me root for Pierre to watch him go through the trials he's been through, the rejection, the friend dying, the uh, demotion, and uh, the live reaction with Pierre Gasly, so happy and elated, driving across the the checkered flag in Monza, and uh, you know saying, "I love you guys so much, thank you so much for all the help," you know to his engineers. It just it made me want to cry watching it live. It's so amazing. And uh, I really, really like Pierre Gas. He's an ultimately just incredibly likable dude. And I find myself rooting for him as much as I possibly can. Episode seven is called Gunther's Choice. And that made me feel very, very bad for Gunther Steiner, the uh, Haas team principal. The dude is given so little to work with. I think he's got kind of a crappy owner. He's juggling everything. He's winning sponsors. He's really doing more than a guy with his job title should be asked to do. He's got a ton of employees to take care of, making sure everything stays together financially. He's running the team entirely by himself. And Gene Haas is kind of a, an owner that's an absentee owner. I don't. I often understand, like, I, I really wonder, why does Gene Haas have an F1 team at all? What is his goal? What's going on here? Why does he not want to give more money to his team? Is he broke? Does he not have enough money to do that? I, I just often look at Gene Haas and I go like, It's a weird, like, toy for you to have. You're not really seeming to want to win more races. You're seemingly happy being at the bottom of F1. But you're happy to beat it. Like, you're glad you have an F1 team. I just, I fundamentally often look at Gene Haas and what they're doing with uh, the team and go, like, I I just don't understand at all. And so I feel bad for Gunter Steiner. He's got a really, really tough job. Episode 8 is called No Regrets. It's uh, about Carlos Sainz leaving McLaren for Ferrari. Uh, He's joining this big brand. It's got, you know, Ferrari's got great name recognition. But unfortunately, as far as performance, he's leaving the better team McLaren to go to Ferrari. It's actually kind of a step down because McLaren has got a more competitive car than Ferrari. It's a bit odd to celebrate. Like, you're happy you're going to go to a big brand and a big fan base, and it's probably good for your social media, yada, yada. But as far as winning races, I'd go like, man, McLaren is the better team. So I guess it's really just... Carlos Sainz recognizing, I'm never going to win a world championship. It's not about that. I just need to now enjoy my life, work for a good team that I always grew up dreaming of racing for. So I get that there, but it just feels like a a backwards move for him to go from McLaren backwards to Ferrari. If that makes any sense. I also learned in episode 8 that Tifosi is the name of Ferrari fans. I'd, I'd never heard of that before. It's kind of interesting, kind of cool. If you ever hear the word Tifosi... It, it's a it's the name of the fans uh, of Ferrari. Episode nine. It's called the Man on Fire. Uh, it's all about Roman Grosjean's crash uh, at uh, Bahrain. And uh, man, uh, that crash, him getting out of the flames. It's always going to be something that is crazy to watch. I've seen that so many times, and yet watching it live on the show, or not live, but watching it you know, happen again on the show, watching the flames and him get out. It's, it's horrifying. It really is truly just a terrifying thought. This guy climbing out of a ball of flames and the car broke in half. And Toto Wolf is like, that shouldn't happen F1 cars. And the way they edited everything, uh, the editing of the episode was so great, building tension. If you didn't know that Roman Grosjean did survive the crash, you wouldn't have known by the way they're watching. It would have been on the edge of your seat going like, what's going to happen to this guy? Did he live? Did he not? Great editing, great storytelling there. I remember watching the Roman Grosjean crash and at the time thinking, like, man, this is going to be a really, really interesting episode of Drive to Survive. So it was. It was uh, very, very compelling and kind of sad and kind of horrifying. So, yeah. Uh, Now... Uh, I, I just, by the way, as the episode ends in episode nine, uh, the man on fire, you watch, you see Sergio Perez win a race in formula one and it's a race. He did not think he was going to win. It's in fact, it's a race that it, it, he, he was thinking it's my second to last race ever in formula one. He had no team moving forward in, in 2021. So I thought it was super cool. He won a race with his future. So uncertain kind of like saying, Hey, I deserve to be in formula one. Here's why. Uh, it makes me like Checo a lot. I really think he's good for Red Bull, and I I want to watch what Checo can do with Red Bull in 2021. Can they, in fact, challenge Mercedes? Uh, episode 10 wrapped everything up. Really, there's not a lot going on in Episode 10 I thought was compelling or interesting. The number one takeaway I had was this. I was watching with my girlfriend, or my fiancé. I keep forgetting. Like, I'm engaged now. I still want to call her my girlfriend, though she's my fiancé. Uh, there's this shot of Nikita Mazepin Next to his dad, and I was laughing with my my fiance Liz, going like, "It really does look like that." Nikita Mays have been next to his dad. Looks exactly like Draco Malfoy with his father Lucius Malfoy from Harry Potter. They look like villains. They're like, "Ugh, those are not the most appealing heroic dudes I've ever seen in my life." They look like villains, straight up. And uh, I guess all in all, season three of Form of the One Drive to Survive. It was awesome. It was fun. And I think the show is incredibly good for the sport, the growth of the sport, getting Formula One in front of people that might not have ever heard of or watched it before. That's really how I came to know about Formula One. So um, I love I love Drive to Survive. I think it's great. It's a good show. Uh, And then I really I think Formula One is such a special sport. I love it so much. Uh, It's my girlfriend does not care. My fiance, she's my fiance. I still struggle that she couldn't care less about sports. She loves Formula One. It's got a special appeal that is really, really unique and really, really fun to watch. And uh, I I just, I love Formula One. It's my second favorite sport in the world. And it's so, so good. Yes, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate it. That's all I have. Hope you have a great day. Ba-dum-bum-bam. We are done.